1: Hello and welcome to Masoni and Marshall Meaningful Marketplace. Thanks for joining us as we hear the stories of female food entrepreneurs. This is Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce
0: and Sarah Masoni of Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center.
1: We're glad you joined us today. We're going to be here with tips on um, and stories of hope for all of our food friends out there. Sarah, um, I forgot to ask you if this is okay to talk about before we started, but you got some really good personal news today. Can we talk about it? Can we tell our listeners? Oh, yeah. I baked a chocolate cake over the weekend.
0: Because <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you're ce- you celebrating some good news. Yeah. So I did one of those genetics tests to because I had uh, breast cancer three years ago and done all the treatment and stuff and then I had the genetics test and it said I don't have any of the genetics for any other cancers at least for now so that yeah. was great great news
1: that's super good news I re- I wanted um you know on our first show you talked about that and so I just wanted our listeners to know that everything's checking out and you're healthy and I'm so excited and I was so relieved and yeah I was- I- I mean, I now I the- just
0: need to lose the to- COVID ten pounds I've gained from all the <laughs>
1: chocolate cakes I baked. <laughs> I know you and everybody else. It's just the way <laughs> the way that it is. Once um, yeah. once we can get out in the world again, I'm sure that will happen. Everybody's just eating and sitting. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, I'm super glad. I was excited to see that news, and thanks for sharing it with everybody and letting everyone know that you're okay. Mm-hmm. okay. we We're going to be talking dairy today. So are there there any um, OSU programs that involve dairy we can tell people about before we get started?
0: Oh, yes. There's a small creamery on campus that's run by a gal named Robin Frogen. And she's a faculty research person just like me. And they actually will help people get started with making cheese and all sorts of dairy products right on campus.
1: That's so cool. Yeah. I I feel like every time we do a show, I find out something new that exists out there.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And right now they're ramping up to do an ice cream program on campus. They've purchased a new deep freeze and they're looking at upgrading their ice cream machine and then sending their old ice cream maker to the Food Innovation Center. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's really exciting. And if you want to learn more about it, you can look on the Food Science and Technology website. They have a um, extension link that shows when the classes are, so that you can go on and sign up, awesome. and hopefully go in person.
1: Yeah, let's let's hope that happens soon. <laughs> It'd be kind of hard to do
0: remote training on how to make cheese.
1: Yeah, the kind of nice thing about food production training and stuff is that people are already masked up and geared up, and sanit- you know sanitation is all in place. So it's like you know. It's kind of like they've been living that lifestyle before
0: everybody else. (laughs) Just taking it to a new
1: level. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, our guest today is here with us. I would like to welcome Janina of Rising Sun Dairy. They provide fresh local milk to the Willamette Valley. Welcome, Janina.
2: Hi there. Thank you.
1: Yeah, we're glad to have you today. Uh, We want to help connect people to you. And so um, is there a good place to find you on the internet? How can people find out more about you?
2: Yeah, um, so the best way to find out about us is through Facebook or Instagram. Our social media handle is super simple. It's at Rising Rising Sun Dairy. That's great.
1: Perfect. We will uh, make sure to connect people to you. I was checking out your Facebook yesterday. I saw some really cute pictures of cows. Yeah. <laughs> and bottled milk. Yeah. Yes.
0: yes.
1: I I love the glass bottles. We'll um, talk about those in just a bit, but I wanted to start at the beginning of your journey. Yes. So when did you start Rising Sun Dairy?
2: Um. Yeah, so it was kind of a two part thing. Um, when I met Mark, my now husband, uh, he told me, he's like, I want to start milking in glass bottles. I don't want to do the conventional way of dairy farming. And I was kind of like, oh, okay. Like, conventional dairy farming was the only thing I knew. And I was like, I can get on board with this. This is really cool. So um, we did about two years of research. And then uh, we became an LLC in 2017 and did some more research and started some renovations on the farm. And then in June of 2019 is when we rolled out our first bottle. So exciting.
1: Yeah, that's super cool. So did you own the farm already? Or did your husband own the farm?
2: Um, so we rent the farm from his brother who owns the farm. Interesting. And his, his
1: family always been dairy farmers or, or farmers?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So Mark came from a dairy farming background. Um, they've dairy farmed in Oregon for over 30 years. Um, I myself come from a dairy farming background, so it's, really the only thing we know.
0: <laughs> tell, tell us about where you did your dairy farming. So you were yeah. FFA and all that stuff, probably.
2: Actually, I, I am from Canada. So oh, you're there, from Canada. <laughs> yeah. So um, there was no FFA program. Oh and, shoot! <laughs> yeah. And they actually just shut down the 4-H program just as I was eligible to go into the 4-H. So oh. um, all my dairy is background is from my dad who taught me everything I know about cows and dairying. And um yeah, I've been milking cows since I was eleven years old. Um standing wow. on a five gallon pail. Uh my sister, my older sister taught me how to milk. My dad didn't want me milking yet. And one day my sister was milking and I said, Can you teach me how to milk cows? And she's like, Yep, grab a five gallon pail. So <laughs> that's how it started. I
1: one time went to the fair and they let us um, milk a cow. And that was, that's my only cow milking experience. And it was a lot harder than I thought it was going to (laughs) be. It's hard. It's hard to do it. And um, I think maybe I was with a group of people and I think maybe only two of us could actually do it, but I was able to do it just a tiny bit. (laughs) Right. I wasn't good at it.
0: I think you were trying to like do it with your hands probably, right? Yeah, <laughs> I don't think Janina's doing it with her hands.
1: Sarah. no,
2: no I know. No. <laughs> I, <mean. laughs>
1: I saw ma- I saw a milking machine on your on your website, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that's that's of course they have a machine. They're not going to do it by hand. Yeah. Uh,
2: correct. Yeah, that would be you would have quite the bare paws, I think, by the end of
0: doing all that milking. <laughs> oh. So you're from Canada. How'd you end up in
2: Oregon then? Um, I actually, that's, I ended up in Oregon through Mark. Um, we met at a uh, Christian Bible retreat and, um, yeah. And all my friends, yeah, they teased me. They're like, you're going to come home with a boyfriend. You're going to come home with a boyfriend. And I'm like, nope, nope, nope. And sure enough, I met this wonderful dairy farmer and moved to Oregon and married him. The rest (laughs) is history.
0: Yeah. I saw that you just had a baby too, this last year. Yes.
2: Yeah. But maybe. So that's cool. Yeah. She's number two. So, Oh
0: yeah. Congratulations.
2: <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's a busy household, but <laughs> that's so fun.
0: So how do you, do you still help milk cows then? Is it family tag team? Or are you out in the barns and how do you, how does that work end up getting done?
2: Yeah. So, um, Mark does most of the outside work, um, before baby number two was born, I was doing a lot of the milking, um, especially in the mornings, we both get up at five. Um, Mark would pack the coolers, get ready for market. And then I would milk the cows and get him on his way to market and then spend the rest of the day in the house with the girls. So. (laughs) That's nice. What, um, you mentioned
1: markets, what markets can people find you at?
2: Um, So the two main markets we are currently selling at are um, Corvallis and Salem. So um, during the winter months now, we sell at Corvallis Indoor Market and then the Corvallis markets, the summer market starts up in May and then we go from May till end of November during the summer in Corvallis. And then in Salem, we are currently now selling at the Salem Public Market for the winter months. And then during the summer months, beginning April through October, we sell at the um, Salem Community Markets.
0: That's cool. And I understand that you're in a coffee shop as well.
2: Yeah, yeah. So uh, there's a small coffee stop in Jefferson, just eight miles down the road, and we supply all their milk too. And it's really fun to supply local businesses.
0: That is fun. And how about the bakery that you helped open in Albany?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um Bodie Bakery, uh their bakery outlet store in Albany, they we've worked closely with them to sell quarts of milk there as well.
0: That's great. I understand that you're using a bottle deposit and bottle return system. Can you tell us a little bit about how you set that up?
2: Yeah, uh it's quite simple. We just um Once, when you purchase your bottle of milk, it's a $2 bottle deposit on whatever size bottle you decide to purchase. And then um, when you come back to, and you bring your empty bottle back, then we don't charge you that $2 deposit. And then if you choose not to buy milk at that time, or let's say you bought extra milk because you've decided to buy a fun flavor and you didn't want a fun flavor this week, then we give you your $2 back at the time that you return our bottles.
0: That's neat. Sarah Marshall has bottle return system too.
1: Yeah, uh, we have it so that if people, um, they don't have to pay a deposit, but our bottles are different than yours. They're not so big and (laughs) expensive, I'm sure. But um, if people bring it back, then we give them a dollar credit for their next um, purchase. So they bring them back to us at the farmer's market and that works out really well. I like that you guys are packaging in glass. Is that... um, you mentioned in the beginning that your husband wanted to do something non-conventional. So is that, is that part of that is, is the packaging and.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We wanted something, you know, more environmentally sustainable as well. Um, And the glass, it looks really neat. And I think it personally, I think it preserves the flavor a lot better too.
1: Yeah. We, I try to buy anything in glass, instead of plastic i think that a lot of people too and in oregon especially because we are a little more earth conscious i think it's like what our customers want from the farmer's market they want to um you know be able to use things that are sustainable even our um like hot food programs that we have at the farmer's markets they don't use any waste so i think it's just something that people are looking for so i like that you guys are doing that
0: yeah can you tell us go ahead sorry
2: Oh, It's it's also fun to hear, um, you know, the older generation and they regale their stories about, oh, back in the day, we would have milk delivered to us in these glass bottles. And <laughs> it, it's really fun to hear other people's stories. Yeah.
1: Do you guys do um, delivery to people's stores or just they have to come to get it from you at the market?
2: Uh, so right now we are currently um, doing deliveries only in Corvallis city limits. Um, yeah just because we're not in any stores right now in Corvallis and we wanted to keep um, the the pace going and the momentum going with having our milk available in in the city of Corvallis.
0: That's That's great, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about sustainability? And You mentioned that, and that's a really big buzzword in the food industry right now. Glass is sustainable, but are there other sustainable practices on your dairy farm that you
2: use for your cows? Um, I mean, cows produce their waste, right? So um, we're sustainable by that way. We have a partnership with the neighbor who takes the cow's waste and they spread it on their field and use it as a fertilizer. Um, other than that, there's, there's not much else to sustain.
0: That's, that's good, though.
2: How many cows do you have at the farm? Uh, currently, we're milking 15
0: 15 how much milk do they produce
2: um that's a good question (laughs) It, (laughs) it, it, it always varies up and down um right now in the winter months they're not get we have to give them um alfalfa um they don't get to graze on our lovely pasture so the milk production goes a wee little bit down so um around i'm thinking the 25 pounds per cow
0: per day and you milk them twice a day Correct. Yeah. That's nice. And then you produce the bottled milk every morning, or you do it every other day, or you schedule it based on the quantities they produce?
2: Yeah, so uh, we like to do it every, we have to do it every third day or every second day for sure, just to keep up with um, supply and demand. we like the bigger batches because then, you know, we're, we're not so busy processing. Um, sometimes, though, we run out of milk sooner than we think. So we're like, oh, today we weren't scheduled to process milk, but we're going to process milk because we need milk. So,
0: And you're using a
2: pasteurizer.
0: What kind of pasteurizer do you use? Uh,
2: so it's a 100-gallon vat pasteurizer.
0: Do you, can you tell us about the VAT pasteurizer and why you chose to use a VAT pasteurizer?
2: Yeah. So, um, with the VAT pasteurization, um, it's, it's a longer process of pasteurization. So the milk heats up to about 165 degrees Fahrenheit, and then we hold it there for half an hour, um, with our flavored milks, we heat it up a little bit higher but still hold it for the half an hour. And then we quickly cool the milk as fast as possible to keep that milk fresh. Um, We chose to do this method um, more for cost-wise, beginning, starting as a um, farmer. The flash ultra-pasteurizations are very, very spendy. Yeah, it's expensive. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think
0: the... The vat pasteurization actually is better, and it tastes so much better, in my opinion, than the high-temperature short-time.
2: Yeah, it's it's a fresher process for sure. It's gentler on the milk as well.
0: So I noticed that you recently added cream and skim milk so people can get milk with a little bit less fat and then buy a bottle of butter fat, which is wonderful. Did you have to get a separator to do that, or how are you... Able to do the different types of milks?
2: Yeah, so that's just um, a separa- separate separator that we use. Um, we just dump a gallon of milk at a time and then it spins at insanely fast rates. And when the skim milk comes out of one chute and the 30% fat milk comes out of the other chute. <laughs> that's
1: what are so cool? Yeah,
0: I, and it's funny because my grandpa had an old separator in his garage. Um, probably from when he was young who knows where he got it but we never got to use it I thought those are really cool um, and it could be something so simple to just be able to create a value-added product by taking the cream off
1: yeah yeah that's nice we're gonna take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about some of the special flavors that you do we'll be right back oh I can't wait
0: Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of Meaningful Marketplace. With a mission to serve all Oregonians, we are committed to giving voice to those whose food and agricultural stories are not always heard. By providing access and opportunity for a more diverse and just food system, because food brings people together. Ooh, let's talk about the flavor that you just featured during the holidays, Janina. What was that flavor? Uh, that would be our eggnog.
2: Yeah, and what makes your eggnog special? Um, the strangely weird thing about it is that it has no eggs. Oh. Um, so <laughs> technically, we have to call it uh, eggnog-flavored milk. Okay. Um, so it's a powder that we get and then uh, we add it in with our milk and the eggnog with the whole milk just makes it so much more creamier and rich. I bet tastes great. Yeah.
0: And so you're selling that um, at all of the markets and is it still available or did that is that a special seasonal uh, flavor?
2: That is a seasonal flavor. Um, We usually run um, beginning or around Thanksgiving, so end of November to mid-January. We did notice this year that other stores were bringing out their eggnog earlier. I don't know if it's because people just wanted 2021 to hurry up and, or (laughs) 2020 just to finish, (laughs) hurry up and finish. So um, we did start our eggnog a little earlier this year and then, um, maybe if we have enough milk, we'll do a little Christmas in July and feature our eggnog in July. Oh, that would
0: be fun for a good eggnog, idea. eggnog milkshakes and stuff. Yum.
1: What other flavors of milk do you do other than the eggnog?
2: Um, so our main flavor we do is chocolate. We sell that one all year round. Um, and then we also do a strawberry that we sell seasonally throughout the summer and then um the main one we're super super excited to talk about is our blackberry milk and because I know Sarah Mazzoni uh helped us create that one (laughs) yeah we
0: had fun all summer figuring out how to make it from berries actually yeah that's really
1: cool and uh, that's not just a powder that you dump in there it's actually berries that's what I was gonna ask is like I mean I don't I only know how to make um, a flavored milk by mixing in a powder of some kind, you know? Right. So that's like what we're all used to. But what do you, how do you go about making infused milks?
2: Um, Sorry, you want me to take this one or you want to take it? <laughs> Why don't we do it together? I'll tell a story. So um,
0: Mark and Janina contacted me through the Oregon Dairy Innovation Grant that we have, and they wanted to do uh, milk with a real fruit in it. Mm -hmm. So I started playing around with it in my kitchen at home because it was during the time when we had to stay at home. And we actually did all the development work through texts and phone calls. (laughs) 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 So we used our phones as our communication. And um, I uh, received some fruit concentrate from a company in Salem called Kerr Concentrates. And then I also received some fruit from a company in Salem called Oregon Fruit Company. And with those fruit samples, um, we were able to figure out how to make the berry drinks in their pasteurizer. And I'll let Janina tell us how they do that.
2: Yeah, so uh, what we do is, uh, we actually ended up going with the uh, Oregon fruit products, uh, blackberry seedless puree. Um Mark really wanted to do the marionberry cuz that's so special to Oregon especially you know us living in Marion County and um but the consistency and the texture was just wrong with that one so we decided to just go with a blackberry puree. Um what we do is we we boil it over we double boil it over in, just in our stove and we heat it up to about 180 degrees Fahrenheit. And we pasteurize that milk along, or sorry, that puree along with the sugar that we put into it, and then we cool it very rapidly. Uh, once the berries are cool, we add it again to the pasteurized milk in our pasteurizer, and then chill it again. That's and so cool. And yeah. so, so is the. Um,
1: is that like a seasonal flavor? Or do you offer it all the time? or
2: That is a seasonal flavor. Um, we're hoping to start it in April again and then go till about September-ish.
0: Nice. And do you have other flavors that we're going to work on this spring?
2: <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're hoping to start a strawberry puree flavor. Oh, nice. Um, to kind of replace the strawberry that we have now just to kind of move away from the powders, um, especially the, the, the FD red 40. Yeah.
0: There's red 40 in the mix probably. Yeah. So yeah. you're going to
2: take that out. That'll be great. Yeah.
0: Especially for kids. Sometimes kids, we don't know it, but the red 40 will make them real hyper and they'll yes. act crazy.
1: Yeah. There's when a I- lot of red 40 and candy and jello and stuff. When I used to work with kids at group homes, that was one of the first things that we did when we were looking at changing their menus and diets was to make sure, because they were kids that, you know, got in trouble for whatever reason. Um, And a lot of times it was like they were eating a lot of processed foods and it was making them super hyper and wild. And then we just would change that one thing. And it was like, you know totally different <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah not
2: that,
1: not that that's the answer for everything but i'm just saying in my experience it, does, yeah, red it does 40, yeah it does help yeah it helps um so that's cool that you're working on that was it sarah was that a fun project for you to work on that was so fun because i would like mix it up and then i'd set it in my
0: fridge and i'd see if it separated and if it was the flavor changed and we wanted to make it as simple as possible yeah, um, and I think we were successful, and I, I I remember talking with Janina and Mark, and they were like, well, the inspector said it was probably going to curdle, and I was like, why is it going to curdle? Yogurt does fine. Why can't milk be made this way? And so we just did
1: it. <laughs> we didn't listen to yeah. them. That, sometimes that's just what you got to do. You just got to do what you know and follow There's your gut, always- and then
2: – people who
1: say, Oh, you can't do that. And you can't do this. You just have to try it. You um, mentioned her inspector. And when I shared a kitchen with um, Liz from Portland Creamery, and she had, um, you know, a specific dairy inspector, which I didn't know that that was the thing, you know, we've always just worked with the Department of Agriculture. But um, can you tell us about who certifies you to, you know, to produce and distribute the milk?
2: Yeah. So, uh, we work with the Oregon state, um, department, they uh, department
0: of agriculture.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so we are, um, certified USDA certified. Um, (laughs) yes. (laughs) Sarah Mazzoni is holding up this big, big binder that Mark had to go through (laughs) with the grade A milk pasteurization protocols and everything. And, um, Yeah. So he had to become certified to pasteurize the milk. Um, he, he took a written exam and then he does, um, he did a, um, a walkthrough exam, a practical exam and they certified him that way. And then every three months we are inspected by the milk inspector who comes, um, every month our milk is taken by the, um, a sample of our milk is taken and, um, process through the state for to make sure everything's on par with the numbers. It's, Great. yeah, it's, and it's you bet, good. You it's bet. such, go ahead. Oh, it's, 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 it's such, it's good in that way. It keeps us accountable because milk can turn so quickly. Um, it's good that they keep us kind of regulated. And when they're testing it, what are they testing it for?
1: Is it um, like, hormones or bacteria, or what are they testing
2: it for? Bacteria, um, mostly, and then, um, you know, any high somatic cell counts um, or... Um. Antibiotics, too, I think sometimes yes. will test for that.
0: Yeah. They have yeah. routine um, tests and analysis, and I just wanted to say I have this grade A pasteurized milk ordinance because I help a lot of people with it, but... Looking at the front of the book, the quality standards were started in 1924 um, in the public health reports. And probably even before that, the US government has been helping shepherd our dairy processors to make sure that the dairy products are safe and healthy and good for us to use in our daily lives. So um, if somebody's interested in doing a dairy product, You do have more hoops to jump through definitely than just making, um, you know, strawberry jam or something like that.
1: Yeah. It's always interesting to hear about what people's different requirements are because, you know, I mean, I only know what I do, which is like, um, it's not so. There's not so many things, you know. Our inspector we just see once a year instead of every three months. So, and it seems like with dairy and with meat, and I'm sure it's because there's a lot more um, that could go wrong. So they're they're there to help you regularly, which I think is really good. And I always tell um, people, especially when they're first getting into. Um, into making or food production that really you think of your inspector as your guide that's kind of along this journey with you. Because I think sometimes people are like afraid of, of their inspector or especially if you're used to working in the restaurant industry, when the health inspector comes, everybody kind of like, you know, gets nervous about it. But I think in food production, it's a little bit different because instead of trying to find all of the things that you know, that you have done wrong, they really want you to be set up and to continue to have success. So they're there to, you know, help you along the way, which I think is really nice about the Department of Agriculture. So whenever I have new buddies, I'm like, don't be afraid of your inspector. They're really there to help you. You need to think of them as like they're along on this journey with you.
2: I have to agree with you, Sarah, when when we were getting started, um, one of the first calls we made was to an inspector and, you know, we got them to look at the place and be like, what do we need to do to get started safely? We want to get started right. We don't want to, you know, start this project and also be like, you need to change this, this, this and this. So to have them on board and really use them as a resource is was great. Are you
0: planning to grow your herd of cows as your um, client base increases and more people want your milk?
2: Yeah, yeah, that is that is the plan. Um, we do want to up the cows' production as well, um, just to you know, instead of feeding lots of mouths and having them produce, you know, so much. We want to feed, concentrate on feeding them well, give them a good diet, and then they in turn give us a lot in return. Um, the hard thing with us, we, we are A2, A2 milk, which means before we have any cows join our herd, we have to get them genetically tested to make sure that our milk stays A2, A2. What does that mean? <laughs> so that's a, um, that's a special protein in the milk. Um, So most milk is A1, A2, and studies have shown that the A2, A2 protein in the milk um, actually helps digest in the person a lot better. It'll cause less abdominal distress. Yeah, (laughs) issues one might have. Um, We have one client, actually, she has fibromyalgia. She says the A2, A2 milk has actually really helped with um, her fibromyalgia, um, flare-ups aren't as, uh, recurrent.
0: That's nice.
1: I think sometimes I've heard people talk about that too. Like if they sometimes have problems like with like, you know, lactose intolerance that if they just are using the other kind of milk, I think it's like when we had Sarah, the um, Manny's choice. And it's like, if you get flour from different places or good flour, like people that are, have like a gluten problem with it. Yeah. Yeah, We'll be able to have it. I think it's kind of that same thing because I've heard that, that people should look for A2, A2, but it's not, it's, can you get it in a regular grocery store? I mean, I've never seen a bottle of milk labeled for that.
0: I think you should have that on your website or maybe on your, I don't know, on Facebook. Hey, you can have people come to your creamery, right? You sell from your from your creamery on the farm, isn't that right? Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, so uh, we're open on Tuesdays and Thursdays from 7.30 till 6.30 at night um, or by appointment if, you know, those dates don't work for you. Um, and people can come and buy their milk from the store or a little, it's not really a storefront, it's just an eight by eight cooler. Um, or hopefully that's one of our things in the future is to to build a nice storefront. Um, and then if they want, they can have a little tour. Um, it's just two rooms, but it's really cool to see, I think. But
0: <laughs> If they want to see the bottling equipment running, can they watch that through a window or how would yeah. they see it?
2: Yeah. So there is a window that they can uh, watch through. Um, otherwise you have to put on the proper, PPE to come in and watch the bottling happen That's as well. That's nice. I, wanna, I
0: want you to have a storefront so we can make ice cream. <laughs> that would be and People can come and have an ice cream and buy their milk. That would be great. That would, yeah, that would be amazing. Especially since you have a separator, now we can um, do that.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Sarah loves working on ice cream projects. If you can't see the joy in her eyes right now,
2: <laughs> yes. I could do ice cream. She's so yeah. excited. <laughs> that, is on one, that is our
0: list for uh, future projects. So That's a great thing to add, I think, um, because people love ice cream and that gives them a reason to come and get your milk.
1: Yes. Do you have any favorite cows right now that are on the property?
2: Um, I have this Jersey cow. I'm a little impartial too. It's just this cute little thingy um, with a little tuft of hair on her forehead. Most of them don't have that, and uh, and then there's this little redheaded vixen that I, <laughs> me and her have a thing against each other. So, <laughs> kind of a love hate relationship. Do you name your cows? Uh, we have nicknames for them. Uh, the Jersey, her name is Jessie. Jessie the Jersey. Um, we uh, started naming some of the calves. We had more, um, so we have like Jewel and Opal and Ruby and uh, Jolene. So <laughs> oh,
0: that's nice. I heard sometimes people play music in the barn when they're milking the cows. Do you have music playing in your? Um, milk,
2: milk parlor. We do not. However, I do have not. heard of that. If you play um, classical music, your cows produce a lot better, and if you play rap, your cows produce less. Now, I don't oh, know if don't actual, put rap in there. <laughs> I don't know if there's actually scientific proof of that, but uh, that's. That's the myth. That'd be a low hanging fruit to try and
0: implement to see if they'll make more cow milk if you put on the classical music. Yeah. I like that idea.
1: What do you think has been the biggest challenge for you guys in starting up your new business?
2: Um, The biggest challenge for us to get started was the financing. Um, Me being from Canada, having no credit, um, you know, both of us not really having having to deal with banks ever before in our lives. Um, We spent a lot of time putting paperwork together and documents and binders and just to have the banks tell us in the end, well, actually, we're not giving out loans or we're not helping finance any sort of dairy because dairy doesn't produce any money. Um, That was a huge struggle to get over. Yeah. In the end, uh, we pulled a lot of our savings and uh, were able to acquire a personal loan.
1: Good. I'm glad that you could do that. I I think for all small businesses, that is a big challenge. Just getting the money to start, you know, it was the same for me. Um, I did—I ended up doing a Kickstarter because I didn't need a, a lot of money. You know, I didn't have to build out a facility. I was just doing it from my home kitchen. So it, I could, my startup fees were pretty low, but I still needed to have things like, um, you know, just a big immersion blender and um, big pots and things like that. So I, I did a Kickstarter and it was mostly my family that, <laughs> that gave to me and my friends. And it was just, you know, 5 or $10 here and there, but it was probably almost every person I knew. So, so I could get started. But I think financing is really hard to get if you, um, you know, don't have some kind of business financial background happening. And, you know, I didn't. I was just a social worker. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad you guys could figure it out kind social of worker with a dream Yep, <laughs> a sauce dream yeah. <laughs> yeah do you have any advice for new businesses that are just starting out or people that have a dream they want to make ha- a reality
2: my advice would be don't give up you know just keep keep pushing keep slogging through um you know, and if you have a supportive person, hang on to that supportive person because they will get you through it. And, um, you know, Mark, he's, he's the manpower behind this whole business and, um, but we really do it together. He, you know, he does the grunt work. I, you know, I do more of the, the books and stuff, but he, um, we, we rely on each other's you know, we complement each other very well. So if you have that support person, you know, you might have your differences, work them out, come to a a understanding and, you know, um, and keep praying. (laughs) Yeah. That's good advice.
1: And are you available in any, um, grocers or, um, retail establishments we can send people
2: to? Yeah. Um, Currently, right now, we're selling our um, cream and our whole milk, just the whole milk um, at Life Source Natural Grocers on commercial in Salem. And then uh, we sell all of our flavored milk and our whole milk and cream at Easy Orchards on Hazel Green. What
0: about Aspen Walls? What's Aspen Walls?
2: <laughs> yeah, so Aspen Walls is a super fun. Uh, produce fruit stand um yeah they open i believe in april and they go till end of october so during those months our milk is also available there as well and then um the Bodie bakery on in albany the outlet bakery there We'll make sure
1: to tag those places so people can find you there, but also the, you know, we like to send people to you directly. So the best place to go is to your farm stand, right. Or, or to the farmer's market. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And you know, once school starts up and this whole COVID thing dies down, we really want to um, hopefully work with um, the Oregon dairy nutrition council and get uh, field trips coming down to the farm
0: oh good idea
2: yeah we really want to you know educate the kids that you know milk doesn't come from the grocery stores milk actually comes from cows and (laughs) this is what happens and this is what they eat and so
1: I think that would be a really great piece because it's connecting you to your family and your story and your farm and so in that within that community I think it would be really great to to offer that for people I want to come check out your farm I want to come there sure. we should go together Sarah yeah let's do it <laughs> yeah, come on down No,
2: I want to so bad I want to see those cows <laughs> yeah if you come in the summer months then you, you'll you see them grazing on the on the pasture and that's yeah it's, um sometimes we'll you know, I think I posted a video one time of In the spring, when they get let out, and they just go bananas, jump grass.
1: Yeah, do they not like to be outside in the winter?
2: Um, we don't we don't like them outside because it will muddy up the um, the pasture, and you know they are messy, and you know with the amazing amounts of rain we get, um, the pasture becomes quite soft, and we don't want them, you know, sinking up to their knees in, in mud. They,
1: my daughter takes horseback riding lessons in Damascus, and um, I didn't realize that the horses don't like to get wet, which is like, <laughs> seems like such a weird thing. Like they're like these. They need a like, raincoat. <laughs> yeah, they do. But she said also too, it's the same. They'll sink into the mud and get stuck, and so oh, they just they good. they you know have them in the barn. So they're they're constantly getting exercised because they're you know they have the kids there, but they don't. They just stay in the barn for the winter. <laughs>
0: Uh I actually have a joke for you that I found on Facebook on uh, Janina's Facebook and it's what do you call a cow eating grass
1: I
2: don't know what do you call a
1: cow eating grass
2: Janina can you tell us They're outstanding in their field. Oh. And they're also a lawn mower. Oh. <laughs> i forgot i had posted that one too
1: <laughs> i love cow jokes i'll cow tell jokes that one the to best. my daughter after i get home <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she loves any joke <laughs> jokes are good well Janina it was great to talk with you today uh do you have anything else you want to tell our listeners about anything we didn't touch on that you want to put out there
2: no I think we covered all the bases Sarah
1: (laughs) (laughs) well it was great to chat with you today this is the first time that I have met you and heard about your business so I'm I'm for sure gonna support your business and get some of your milk and hopefully come see you down there
0: Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So nice to have you. Thank you.
2: Thank you.
1: We record Masoni and Marshall every week. You can find us on your favorite podcast platforms like iTunes and Stitcher. Thank you to our audio engineer, which was Sarah Masoni today, and to our production assistant, Chelsea. If you would like to be a guest on the show, you can send us a DM to our Instagram at Masoni and Marshall, and we will be back next week. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Bye. Bye for now.
0: Market of Choice is a proud sponsor of Meaningful Marketplace. As a family-owned Oregon grocer for 42 years, Market of Choice strives to inspire, mentor, and assist a diverse group of local producers and foster equity in our communities. With 11 stores in Oregon, Market of Choice supports these craft makers, as well as farmers, fisher folk, and ranchers, by bringing more than 7,000 local products to market. Together, we form a sustainable, community-based food system that serves our great state. To learn more, go to marketofchoice.com.